Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning. We have some very grave news to share with you. Mm. And we want to welcome Milton and online into the service as well, and Espanol. But it's my solemn responsibility to inform you, Moses is dead. (laughs) Now, for some of you, you wanted him to die a whole long time ago. We've been in this series for like six months. Six months. So... We wanted to ensure that you knew we were putting this one to rest. (laughs) Applause. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, it's been an epic series. You know, it's been a really epic series. And I mentioned last week, I said, I'm going to miss Moses. You know, as as a Christian, as a, a teacher who's been studying his life for so long, I feel like personally I've learned so much from him. And today we want to ask the question, even though we studied his life and we looked at all that he did, Who really was this man Moses? And in turn, what can we learn from this, his final epitaph? Yeah. I mean, his successes and his flaws, right? Absolutely. He had his faults and his failures, but it was an incredible journey that we've been through. And so what we wanted to do is bring back into this moment right here. We often forget the humanity. Absolutely. Moses died, but how he died is worth consideration. So let's have a look at his epitaph. Amen. So... What can we learn about this man, Moses? We've spent so much time studying his life, studying his successes, his failures, and and everything in between. But who really was this man, Moses, in, in the good and in the bad? And what can we, in this day and age, what can we take away from him? So we're going to invite you to take notes. I mean, obviously on our app, you can download and follow along. And you might want to take pictures. You never find me in a suit like this again. I don't know. But uh, that was worth coming to church for alone, right? And so we had Joe without a coat to mess him up this morning, me with a tie on. That messed me up this morning. And so together, we will handle your weddings, your funerals, or whatever else you have. You know, if I've accomplished nothing in this church, I got Pastor Doug in a suit. That's pretty good. You're welcome. No, actually. <laughs> well, if you have just joined us, you have no idea what's happening. This is uh, We Are Portico, which is one church, one message, many expressions. 
We have campuses that meet in a few different locations, and we just didn't want you to miss Pastor Doug in a suit burying Moses, so we said he can take the first four minutes. My name is Rick, and I'm the campus pastor here, and one last time we are going to look at the life of Moses, and we're going to examine him from his last days on earth, actually. We're going to go into uh, the book of Numbers when Moses looked back upon where he had been and how far he had come. And what lessons can we extract from his reflections on his life at the end of his days? But as we get there, we need to one last time just put into our minds, who was this guy Moses when he entered Egypt? So Josh is, Josh is a professional cartoonist. My name is Vanna Brown. Vanna Brown. <laughs> and he's a professional cartoonist, and he is going to help, underst- help us understand a little bit of the context, because sometimes I think we forget the family dynamics. You, you have family dynamics going on in your family, right? And you know that it makes a difference who, how your siblings have treated you, how your parents have treated you, what your cousins think of you, what your aunts and uncles, how that all functions. One last time, we want to bring some perspective on Moses' family. So Moses was a Hebrew child. He was born in Egypt, but really he had two moms. He had his biological mom, who was a Hebrew lady, and um, he also had an adoptive mom, who was an Egyptian princess. So he's going through life. He's spent the first few years in this Hebrew family, and then he's set out into the reeds, and he's found and adopted by this Egyptian mom, and her name was Hajepsut, and that just kind of really flows off the tongue, but Hajepsut, try that with me. A jumpsuit. No, no you, you failed. But anyway, <laughs> I, don't, I don't speak Arabic either. But, but anyway, Hajabsut's mom was the pharaoh. And we know this because it was the pharaoh's daughter that found, her, that found uh, him in the reeds. And I don't know if you know this, but Hajabsut's dad was named Tutmosis. Which is, so she finds this baby in the reeds and calls her son Moses. So you've got Tut Moses, Hajepsut, and now Moses, baby Moses. And then who's going to become the next pharaoh if you know anything about royalty? Who should be the next pharaoh? He has one daughter from his wife. Her name is Hajepsut, and she has no children except for Moses. So who's going to be pharaoh? Moses was being raised in this home to be pharaoh. Now, Tut Moses was not a faithful man, apparently. He had many wives. And in the midst of that, with and somebody who was, he was married to, but not his primary wife, he has this other child, and he names him Tutmosis III. And Tutmosis III feels, well, maybe I have a right to be on this throne. And, uh, but because it was an illegitimate son, he didn't have full rights to be on the throne. And Tutmosis passes away, and now there's this battle, who's going to be Pharaoh? And we have Hajepsut, and we have Tutmosis III. And because she was the only legitimate child, she is named Pharaoh, one of the only female rulers in all of Egypt's history. But because there was some discrepancy there, they actually co-reigned together. So she was Pharaoh, and Tutmosis III was Pharaoh, and they were married together. Half-brother and sister were married together. Now, this wasn't an extremely happy family because there was this rivalry of who's leading. There was this, we're brother and sister, and we're being forced to marry. So they didn't have any children. So again, Moses is now being raised to be still the only Pharaoh. Well, Tutmosis III didn't love this idea, so he goes and marries another lady, and he has another child who is Tutmosis IV. And Tutmosis IV has feelings that, well, maybe I should have rights to the throne, Moses is my cousin, but we kind of are not sure how, where Moses came from because Hajepsut has never truly married and never been with Tutmosis III. And there's all this 
angst and anxiety going on inside this family and rivalry and who's going to be the next in power. Now, it's under Hajepsut's rule that Moses kills the Egyptian slave and says, I'm going to be with the Hebrew people. So he commits this crime, and because he's a murderer, he has to flee Egypt, and he goes off into the wilderness. These are the 40 years that he's in the wilderness. But under the first few years that Moses is in the wilderness, the Jewish people actually didn't have life all that badly because Hajepsut knew, well, this is Moses, my son's people. I'm going I'm to treat them well. She passes, and then the next rightful owner to the, to, to the throne is Tutmosis III, who then hates Moses and Moses' people and is extremely upset at, all, at, at anybody that has any um, affiliation with Moses, and this is why they're so badly uh, brutalized and they're badly enslaved. And so he then, he then makes it harder, and, and this is when the people start crying out, God, you need to send us a deliverer. We have to get out of Egypt. And in, as we were reading in Exodus, we hear that the Pharaoh had died. Well, it wasn't this Pharaoh that died, and they weren't talking about mom, Hajepsut. They were talking about, here, Tutmosis III dies. So now this guy becomes Pharaoh when Moses comes back in. And when Moses comes back in, he's got ties to his mom, the princess. He has ties to uh, his Hebrew nature. And this is his little cousin who he knows has no right to be on the throne. And he comes back in. And we wonder, like, sometimes we think, how did Moses have such confidence going into the Pharaoh and say, hey, let my people go or I'm going to kill everybody. You know why? It's because all of this happened. And this is his little baby cousin that he comes in and takes a look at. Now, that is a layered, thick family history that is rich that we think, how would Moses have viewed his life and his leadership knowing he could have been ruler of Egypt, he could have just been this desert wanderer, and he, and he ends up coming and causing a lot of trouble for his little baby cousin. Well, the, as we get into the study this morning, I want you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 to 3, and this is Moses reflecting at the end of his life, again, looking back. All of this is in context. This is kind of newer information for us. Moses would have lived this every day for 120 years. And it says, Moses climbed Mount Nebo. So he went up to the top of a mountain. You know the perspective? You, even when you go out to the top of Kelso and you look over the 401, you're like, wow, what, what, what a beautiful place we live in. And you start, and you see like the, I don't know, what are they hawks or whatever, or seagulls or whatever they are. They're just, they're just below you. And you're looking down and you think, man, what a, what a beautiful place. And you get this perspective on life. Well, Moses is 120 years on the top of a real mountain, not Kelso, and he's looking down over the plains where he's brought the people. He could probably see as far into maybe some of the places into northern Egypt where he would have had all these experiences. And then he looks across the plains of Moab, it says, on top of Pisgah. Here we are in Deuteronomy 34, verse 1. Right across from Jericho, where the people were eventually going to go, and the Lord showed him the whole land. He was never going to go in but Joshua was going to lead them in. And he saw his life ending, and he saw the people ready to go in. And he has this moment of reflections. And the lens we want to put on for ourselves is, what lessons would older Moses, 120 years old, have told younger Moses? Younger Moses who killed the Hebrew slave, or killed the Egyptian. Younger Moses who had it out with his, uh, with his cousin. Younger Moses who had this... What would he have told younger Moses, so he could, could have avoided some of the hurt, some of the consequence along the way. And that's what I want us to put our lens on. What would our older selves tell our younger selves? 
And maybe we can start to apply those as we move on so that we can say, maybe I'm going to make some life choices that will help me avoid some of the pain along the way. So the first one, if you're taking notes, is this, is that your identity is not inherited naturally. There are some things about you and I that we can just never change. We have been given DNA from our biological parents. We have 23 pairs of matching chromosomes. You remember going back to science class, the alpha helix that twists together, and you got, there are some things that will not change. Your height is fixed. We can put you on a rack this afternoon if you really want to grow a little bit, or we can just like shove down on your head and see if we can shrink you a little bit. We can, we're not going to be able to do much about your height. You may have some unique body feature like a cool sixth toe or webbed fingers or something. We're not going to be able to change much of that. We're not going to change your eye color. You might have hair in places you don't even want to tell us about, but there are physiologically, there are some things that you cannot change. But I don't know if you know this, that the brain is one of the most plastic parts of the body, of, of, of our being, which means it is always learning. It's always growing. It's always molding. There are, there are m- most of who, who we are and how we think and how we experience things continues to remain very flexible all the way through our lives. And we can change into our senior years. And if you had conversations with some of our lifelong learners in the room, they can tell you about how they're still learning and how they're still growing. And all through their lives, they've been able to continue to change. You can teach an old dog new tricks, right, Bob? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you better learn how to cook then too, my friend. (laughs) But our identity is influenced by our parents, yet it is not fixed to us. It remains very flexible as we go on. This is a lesson Moses would have picked up on. Remember, he's got Hebrew mom. He's Jewish. He's being raised this way. But then, then he moves into a whole nother home, and he realizes, man, I'm not, everything about who I am wasn't set by just the family that I was raised in. I'm, I'm not just a slave. Now I'm this prince as well, and I'm being raised up to rule. If Moses identity was fixed by the family that he was born into, then he was destined to die. And sometimes we'll have this feeling like, man, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a place. I've been born into a family. I've been born into a country. I've been born into a situation. And just bad things seem to happen in our family. Bad things seem to happen in our lives. We need to know that God has the ability to drastically step in and change something about our lives. We know that experience will change things. Our identity is not inherited naturally. And older Moses would have looked, wanted to look down at younger Moses and say, Moses, don't sell yourself short. Who you think you are is not necessarily who you will be. Who you will be will continue to change over time. God has bigger plans. God will stretch you and challenge you. Don't get so narrow-minded saying, this is who I am and I can't change me because that's not how God created you to be. And 120-year-old Moses knew this. Sometimes 40-year-old Moses didn't know this. And then Moses is placed in the water as this, as this young boy. It's an act of desperation of his mom and it's hope of protecting him as well. It felt a little bit like abandonment. But when God has purpose for the difficult things that come into our lives, our entire story, our entire identity can be changed. And we are more than what our birth family and what our experiences provide to us. Moses is then brought into this royal family. His mother's Pharaoh, and she's setting him up to be the Pharaoh. But watch this. Moses' story wasn't set even by the people around him. 
not only not by his birth family, his story was not fixed by the people around him and the plans that they had for him. Hajepsit said, you're going to be Pharaoh. And Moses said, no time out. God has something different for me. And he leaves. And he becomes a whole different person because it was not set by either one of his moms. And God took his DNA, his identification with the Jews. He took his experiences in the palace and he blends them together and makes this brand new identity that is all rooted in a calling from God. He left what could have been, and what, what could have been was pretty amazing. He could have been the leader of the known world at the time, but he left it for something that God had in store for him. Here's what we read, Hebrews eleven twenty six. Moses, he regarded disgrace, so he becomes this Hebrew that is going to be a slave for the sake of Christ, as greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. He was not looking at his family, he's not looking behind. And it's a reminder that Moses, Moses didn't even know what his identity was going to be. Even though people, his family, his experiences were saying, this is who you are, Moses said, I'm going to trust that God will continually create a new identity in me. He trusted that God had more for him than what he even could foresee. Do you trust that God has a future for you that goes beyond your family and your present experience? No matter how old you are, Moses' greatest moment of leadership started when he was 80 years old. <laughs> Do you trust that God has a future for you that goes beyond who your family is, what your job has been, the people around you? Do you believe that? There's some identity verses out of the book of Ephesians. I think we studied this two years ago. Ephesians 1 and 1 verse 5. God decided in advance, before he created us, to adopt us into his family bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God has already determined a new identity for us that is beyond what we've experienced. Ephesians 4 and 24, put on the new self created in the likeness of God, not in what you've been created and what you think you know already, in true righteousness and holiness. And looking back, Moses would say to us, don't doubt what God is going to do with you because of what you've experienced up to this day. Don't look back on your past and limit yourself. Don't look to your family and limit yourself. Don't look to your friends around you and limit yourself. If Moses had have done that, he would have died a Jewish baby. If, don't sell yourself short and limit what God can do by assuming the route that you've already charted out for you forward is the route that God intends for your life. Because if Moses would have done that, he would have been an unremarkable Pharaoh leading in Egypt. He would have been Tut Moses, Hajepsit, and then Moses would have been the Pharaoh, and we probably wouldn't have even known his name if he had followed the path that seemed set out for him. Moses trusted that God would craft this new, beautiful identity rooted in trust and submission to his leadership. And he ends up impacting a nation because he believed his identity was more than what was inherited to him. So when you continue thinking about the life of Moses and how it played out, what the first thing that we learned as Pastor Rick was just talking about was that our identity is found not in what happens naturally to us. The other thing as we were studying the life of Moses and looking back over the last several months, another key component that we learned from Moses is that the menial is not meaningless. The menial is not meaningless. Because when you look at Moses' story, you know, that story, the highlights, the things that seem to draw our attention 
are found in, in different elements. You know, he was found as a baby. He was uh, brought up in the Egyptian court. And we hear about how he killed this Egyptian. Then he was going to, uh, he was fleeing. He was a shepherd and all these different things. And when you look at this story, it seems like he had a, a pretty remarkable life. But this is spread over the course of 120 years. What we're capturing are snippets of moments in his life when there was something incredible happening, certainly. But that means just as much or even more so, there were long seasons in his life when it seemed like nothing was happening, when nothing was going on, when it seemed like the, just the day-to-day -day was just going on and on and on. You know, one of the things that we remember, as you've probably recalled over the last several months, is that every time it seemed like the people of, e uh, people of Israel were grumbling and grumbling. You know, those of you who are parents, you know what it's like for kids that just, you know, draw your ire all the time. It just feels like, why don't they learn? Why don't they get better at this? It feels like they never get better. And imagine what that must have been like for Moses being a parent for what would have been 80 years. 80 years worth of grumbling. 80 years. Trying to find meaning in that. And it's not just Moses, too. Uh, the life of Daniel. When you look at Daniel's life, you know, he was brought into uh, captivity uh, or into exile by the Babylonians. And I imagine he must have looked at his own life and, and wondered what was happening. Because he was a man that we come to discover, we come to learn as his story unfolds, is a very righteous man. He wants to stand by his principles, even in the face of imminent death, no matter what other people might say of him, no matter what it means for his quality of life while in exile. And he could look at his situation, he could look at his circumstance and say, I did nothing to deserve this lot in life. Why is God allowing me to be captured and taken away? How is it that we as a people of Israel can be reduced, like God's children, God's chosen nation, how can we be reduced to such small people? that we are captured by an, uh, a foreign nation, taken into captivity, and humiliated in such a way. And then to think what his life would be like as he's walking his way towards Babylon. You know, is my life, what's my life going to look like? Am I going to be in hard labor? Am I going to be a slave? Where's my family? Think of all the things, the injustices that are about to be brought upon him. So when you look at his life, you can understand if Daniel would have grumbled against God because of his lot in life, because it seemed to be very unfair, given the way that he was personally living up towards God's standard. Now imagine, Daniel could have grumbled, but and in his case, he didn't have any, like there was nothing that uh, he could have said, yeah, this is what I deserve. I, I understand that this is what should have been happening to me. But think about in our own circumstances. How many times when you've done something wrong, uh, and you get punished, how, many, how often is it that the way that you react is not, oh, I'm sorry, but you get mad? Like, how, oh, I'm so frustrated. I can't believe that God is punishing me in this way. I don't think it's fair. You know, oftentimes when we sin and we get punished, I have found for myself, I don't know for, for you, but oftentimes I rebel. I justify it as an opportunity, well, this is not fair. Yes, I understand I did something wrong, but this punishment is too much for me. So I justify in my own mind, in my own way of thinking, that it's okay for me to sin. It's okay for me to lash out and to rebel. And that's even when I did something wrong. So imagine how much more in Daniel's position would it have been that he did nothing wrong, that he had every right in his own mind, if he wanted to, just lash out. But he doesn't. He continues to be faithful to God. 
He continues to trust in him. And as his story unfolds, as you see in the book of Daniel, you see how he wants to stand by God and the things that he has been raised up in. Another person is Joseph. This is actually my Bible hero. And this is a young man who had a God-given talent. And at the first uh, parts of his story that unfold, we see that he has a gift of dreams and interpretation. And I think in his innocence and in his exuberance, he wants to express it with his family. And we obviously realize that I think how he did it in the early days was probably not the best way to do it. And he, you know, lorded it over his brothers and his father and just didn't handle it well. And because of that, because of the way that his brothers react to that, they rebel and they cast him out. They sell him into slavery. And then he's in slavery for however long, but he continues to be faithful, makes his way up into Potiphar's house, and then is falsely accused. And now he gets thrown in jail. And we know that he's in jail for a few years. We know there's at least a period there at one point for two years where he was just stuck there. You know, he helps someone out. He says, hey, don't forget about me. And he's forgotten. And then finally, because of his faithfulness, continues to make his way up and now becomes the second in command of all of Egypt. Now, you look at Joseph's life. Yeah, he made some poor choices maybe early on. But again, here's a person who didn't deserve the lot in life to be sold into slavery. Really, that seems like a bit much to, to be practicing your gifts. But through it all, here was someone who could have looked at his life in all those seasons of, I was sold into slavery, I was falsely accused, all these things happened to me, this is not fair. And he could have looked at his life as being menial and felt like, well, there's no meaning in this. I don't understand it. There's, I don't deserve something like this. But then you can look at someone's life like David. David, I, I think there are two examples here. One example is his ascent to the throne. Here was a young boy who was a shepherd who was anointed king. So if that's going to happen, you're probably thinking, okay, any day now, maybe in a few months or something like that, I'm going to become king. But he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and nothing happens. It isn't until he's 40 years old that he becomes king. Now, he could have looked at his lot in life and said, okay, this is not fair. Why do I have to wait? Why is my life seem menial, especially with the anticipation of something as incredible as being the king of God's nation? But he has to wait. Now, he could have rebelled, but we see as King David's story unfolds that he continues to be faithful. He doesn't give up. He doesn't ascend to the throne ahead of the time that God has appointed for him. Now, you look at people's lives like this, and you can say, okay, you know, some of us, we can look at our lot in life, and we can say, you know, I don't deserve what it is that I'm going through right now. That it feels like there are periods of silence, the periods uh, or seasons where it just feels like I'm just going through the everyday again and again, and it feels like there's no end in sight, and I don't find any meaning in this, and I don't deserve it. But there are sometimes in our lives where we go through the things that we do because deep down we know that this was probably our fault. So David, again, later on in life, commits adultery with Bathsheba. And because of the result of that sin, the Bible tells us that he never had uh, peace with his household for the rest of his life. All of his kids rebelled against him. Time after time, they tried to rise up and take the throne from him. Now, here is an example of, of David where he did something wrong, and justifiably so, there was punishment. There was discipline towards it. And we can look at our lives, and we can say, you know what? I can identify points in my life where I did something wrong, and I can understand, if I'm really honest about myself or with myself, that I deserve what's happening. But in the midst of those times, we can feel like, okay, but do I have to keep suffering through it? 
Why is it that I can't get past this? Why does it feel like my life just continues to trudge along and I'm not making any breakthroughs? And so when you look at Moses' life, look at him, as, as Pastor Rick just mentioned. He spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court, but was expelled for doing something that he thought right. Then he, for 40 years, he's a shepherd in the wilderness. Imagine just doing this again and again for these seasons. Again, moments in his story that we hear that seem incredible, but long periods in his life where nothing seems to be going on. And you can look at it, and you can say, okay, in my life, where do I find meaning in my own experience? We try to be a good person, but no one wants to be my friend. We study hard in school, but we're not able to graduate. Or we get a degree, but we can't find the job that we wanted. We want to get married, but we can't find someone who will love us in return. We want kids, but we discover we can't, or it's too difficult. We have kids, and then suddenly they're taken away from us. We have a great job, but suddenly we're let go. We're healthy, but suddenly the devastating diagnosis arrives. We tried everything in our own might to provide meaning and understanding and purpose to our own existence by trying to do what was right, but then life doesn't add up, and it doesn't give us a fair shake. And these are certainly difficult things to experience, but the problem is we try to find meaning in the wrong thing. If we try to define ourselves by our job, by our family, by these things in life that are temporary, we set ourselves up to fail because all of these things can pass. Yes, they're great things to enjoy. They're great things to see as blessing from God. But ultimately, all of these things could be taken away from us in a moment. So maybe we need to find something deeper to provide the meaning for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So hear the words here. You are his workmanship. You're not just an afterthought. And you were created in Christ Jesus. See, of all the names of God, why this one, Christ Jesus? I think it's because the name was used to signify his, him being a savior. So your identity is found not in what you did, but what God did. So if your good works then that are mentioned here in this passage are defined by these things, then it doesn't matter what the world thinks of where you are in life and the things that you're doing. You, the world may say, well, you know, where you're at, the job you have, your family situation, all these different things, it may not look like it's the greatest, but we're not defined. We don't find our meaning and purpose in the way that the world sees our life. When you understand this in light of how God sees it, that the fact that you are his craftsmanship, that you were made to be loved by him, then all of a sudden these words in Colossians 3, 23, verse 24 take on a new meaning and help us understand the way that we need to respond carefully. Whatever you do, do it as to the Lord, not for man, because it is the Lord God you serve. So if we put ourselves in that concept, if we see our life in that perspective, it helps us understand that there is far greater meaning if we choose to see it the way that God sees it. So even if our life may seem menial, it's not meaningless. So I think, you know what, sometimes life happens. The Bible even says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But I think there's value in trying. There's value in the journey. And if you look at your life and you think you failed, because of something you did or maybe just life not going your way, that doesn't mean that that is what defines you. And I love that Moses would have been able to see that when he was 81, but not when he was 79. 79-year-old Moses would have looked at his life and said, I guess I missed the boat. I guess I failed. I guess I haven't done it. 81-year-old Moses 
he got it. Do you ever get yourself in those moments that you go, oh, I should have done this, or maybe it's over for me, maybe my greatest is already me. We have to trust that God is still journeying with us. It's never too late. We've never missed on. And this is, this is where we're going to end this morning, and I love this. Here's the last lesson Moses would have recognized. Failure is not final. And I love it because it leaves you and I with hope that regardless of what boat we missed, what choice we made, wherever, however long we feel like we've still just been wandering, Moses would have seen at 120 years old, he would have seen the land and been like, yes, <laughs> I got there. I got us there. He still had to deal with the consequence, right? Like he wasn't going in. So consequences happen and God does follow through. But his purpose, the reason why God created him was still going to happen. For us, sometimes failure feels so final, and we feel like, I can't rebound from this. Our, the world is just too harsh. It's like when you're playing Monopoly. Anybody, anybody do family Monopoly? Yeah, you fa- and you build that power block like on the oranges and the reds, and you're like, there is no way. I, nobody can get around that corner. And they, enough times they're going to land on me, and then all of a sudden, somebody puts up houses and hotels on the park place and boardwalk and the greens and you're and you land on one of those and you're like no i have to sell off all my those oranges it falls around and you feel like i can't turn back there's no way and your family is gloating and they're angry and they're laughing at you not that we've had this experience in the carol household <laughs> but in in other homes when i played with you all that uh, you've been glo- no. <laughs> we feel we feel like when what we had set out before us doesn't work out and we get let down, God isn't going to give us another chance. Failure is never an ending in God's world. Moses complained to God so many times. Think that that's been our last month. Every week, do you know we've gone through and the Israelites grumbled or Moses grumbled? Moses stepped in the place where God, God said, I want to provide the water out of the rock. And Moses said, watch me, I can hit it with a stick. I know how to do this. Moses takes the place of God. Moses' leadership lost an entire generation of people in the desert. 120,000 adults, no, 240,000 adults died in the wilderness. That's Moses' uh, trophy as a leader. The entire generation dies. Because they weren't in, he wasn't able to convince these people that the pillar of fire that was in front of them was God's presence and they should just trust him. He wasn't even able to convince people with that. He failed in leadership in so many ways. Yet I want you to look at how scripture memorializes Moses, this failure. Deuteronomy 34, 10 to 12. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all. The power and the love of God is such that when you and I who are unworthy, we are unreliable, (laughs) we we get self-centered, we deserve 30-second chances in life. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that that loves us. That is the Jesus that died for us. That regardless of the failure, regardless of the shortcoming, he still looks down and says, yeah, but look at how faithful they've been. When you turn, the moment you turn, he forgets our sin, he forgets our shortcoming. The moment we go back and say, Lord, I give it all back to you. 
Forgiveness demolishes the finality that we would experience in failure and allows us to thrive in grace that is only offered to us through the life in Jesus Christ. And an older Moses would have looked at us and he would have said, don't grade yourself based on your successes. Don't grade yourself based on your failures. Grade yourself based on two things. Are you loved by God? Have you submitted your life to him? Nothing else matters. <laughs> if you are loved by God, your identity is in him. If you've submitted your life to him, even in the middle of a meaningless phase of life, even in the wilderness, even in a failure, he's going to bring success and he's going to bring purpose. As we close out Moses, we close the, they closed the casket on him and we closed our study on him. We need to remember our identity is in Christ Jesus. Our calling is meaningful and we are forgiven. It is not a failure. What a lesson to launch us into a new school. If you're a student, a new school year, don't, don't try and build, do this on your own. Don't think, as long if I, can, if I can do my best and if I can get the grades that I do and if I can try my best to represent Christ to my friends, mm-mm. look, what is your calling in Jesus? You're calling Jesus to be a loved son or daughter, to walk humbly, to show mercy to people around, to ha- live by faith. For those of us going into a new year with our jobs and a new, and a new season, we're going to go through church. We're going to study a series on theology and the great adventure, what it looks like to get into life. We're going to get into alpha groups. We're going to get into growth groups. So we're going to start up when we come back, September 10th and 17th, we're going to meet together. But we need to have this journey in our perspective to go, my identity is in Christ and his love and forgiveness is enough for me. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you this morning that you do love us. I thank you that um, regardless of where we are in life, e- even if I've, as I've had conversations this morning with people who have felt like, Lord, you opened a door and provide a new employment. Lord, I'm waiting for that door. Lord, I don't even know what that door looks like. I thank you that regardless of where we are on that journey, you're walking with us. Our identity isn't there, Lord. You are our provider, and it's never too late. So God, I, I, I pray that you give us strength in this journey not to close doors, not to become short-sighted. God, thank you for your spirit that is always with us, that peace that, that journeys along with us, Lord. And I ask that this morning for the people that aren't experiencing that peace, that feel like they're stressed and they need to figure something out on their own. In the name of Jesus, I pray you would speak right now. And God, whether you give an answer or whether you just give that close sense of your spirit to say, just wait, I've got this. Whatever it be, Lord, help us. Give us strength for today. Let your joy be our strength. And God, help us to not pick that back up tomorrow morning when it feels like we need to stress about it. (laughs) Not, Not next week when it feels like we need to do it. Lord, thank you for your servant Moses. Thank you for the study that we've had on him. And um, now we ask that we would go and we would live out those life lessons and we would listen to what the older Moses would say to the younger us. So God, we thank you for everything and we ask that we would go now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.